Good morning, Grace Place, both online and on campus. Aren't you glad God had a plan? <laughs> we are in a three-part series for Easter uh, today. I am the truth. A couple of passages of scripture I want to give you, and then I want to just greet you uh, for a second. John chapter uh, 14, verse 6 uh, has been our, our theme text. But I want to add to that one, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. And you're going to help me in a moment in reading that one. Uh, this is uh, a season, one of the highest holy seasons of the church, as we come together to remember what was accomplished on, on our behalf through Christ Jesus. And it is significant, this message today, that we understand uh, that truth is, is embodied in Jesus Christ, that we are not talking about um, just a set of facts, but we are talking about something living and something real. Uh, in the Greek, there are two forms of the word that is used, uh, referencing uh, the word that, that you hold, and we'll read from in a moment when we stand together, uh, or on your apps. How many of you use your apps for Bible reading? I was doing that again just this morning before I came. Uh, I am in uh, Jeremiah now. Uh, a very uplifting chapter, if you... <laughs> And uh, uh, it's setting me up for what I believe I would love to do and feel led to do of the Lord coming uh, this uh, fall for God Talks. Uh, so we're way ahead on that. But uh, this, this whole chapter is, is really feeding into my spirit the need for a, a season of consecration of God's people, coming back to Him, uh, repenting and, and uh, bringing our gifts of gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord in terms of worship. But we have uh, this uh, message today to focus on the truth and to get our attention on what that is really all about. But I would say to you that as we close, uh, each time we are responsible for the truth that we have heard. We are responsible in our own lives to um, act out and walk out what truth we have learned and we know to be true. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, let's look at John chapter 14, verse 6. If you're online, you can stand in your living room or wherever you might be watching today and uh, follow us along as we read together uh, God's Word. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then if you'd turn over to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, and I want you to read this with me, okay? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, in deep gratitude for all that you have accomplished, all that you have done, that it is finished, and it was finished at Calvary, and it was finished at the resurrection, and we're celebrating that, Lord, as we, as we lean into Easter, remembering today uh, that there was a recognition of a king whose kingdom was not on this earth at that time. His kingdom uh, is coming to earth, though. And we anticipate that moment of the return of Christ to set his foot on the Mount of Olives, to divide that, and that the conquering king will once again establish rule uh, on, throughout this planet through which the, 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 the evil powers of Satan can in no way defeat but will be bound and cast into the lake of fire. 
And we ask God that you would uh, minister to us today, open our hearts and minds to understand your word, but help us to also take responsibility for where we are and to obey you in making the next steps that you're calling us towards you. And we'll thank you for that, Lord Jesus, in your name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you as you're seated. It is very natural for us. Uh, it is in our nature, I guess it might be a way to say it, to, uh, to think that uh, we can sustain ourselves by our intellect or by our strength. Uh, but it's clear in Scripture that God's established a different pattern for His people. That we should not rely on our intellect. We should not rely on our own personal strength. And it is a battle for us because uh, we are always by nature leaning into that. The Bible provides, though, a reminder of our dependence on God over and over again, warning us against using human power to try to achieve what only God can accomplish for our lives, and uh, encouragements to rely on Christ, to trust in Him, and, and He's given us the strategy to do so, right? We just read it a moment ago uh, in uh, Zechariah. It is not by might, it is not by power, but what? but by your spirit. Let's say it again, because we need to get this into our spirits. It's not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. It is God's spirit that has empowered us as a strategy for us to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Now listen, every time we are letting go of some stronghold in our lives, some, something that is, is challenging and difficult for us to overcome, there is this grieving process that's going on. It's, it's, it's easy for me to say, you just shouldn't do A, B, and C because that's not my stronghold, right? It's easy for you to look at me and say, we well, just shouldn't do A, B, and C because that's not your stronghold. But when it is our stronghold, it is, it is challenging when truth comes and, and interdicts itself between what we want to, to do and be and say and what is actually God is calling us to and what is the actual truth. As Christians, we demonstrate our, indep- uh, our, our dependence on God through committing to, to prayer and, and to committing to His Word. And it's the reason that we commit ourselves to the Word of God, and, and I, I opened a moment ago by saying that, that there are two words that, that define what you and I have as, as the Word of God, and one is the logos in, in the Greek, which means the written Word of God. It is the writing upon this page, Logos. And then there is the rhema word of God, which is what God was saying to Zechariah. It is not going to be by might or power. It's going to be by the Spirit that brings that word to life and empowers it to transform you and change you. Truth is not without power. Truth has the power to transform us. Not intellectually known truth, but truth that we understand and act upon liberates and set us free. You may recall it. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, right? And the truth shall set you free. And what he wasn't talking about, when we go dig deep into the meaning of that word, was he wasn't talking about you will go to school and you will intellectually know something, right? You've been to school with a lot of people who've intellectually learned something and they are not practicing it, right? Uh, Some of you who've been here long enough have probably been through 
uh, one of our um, classes on Financial Peace University. How, ma how many of you in the, in the room have taken that at one time or another? And we have all met people who understand the principles, the biblical principles of finance, but they're not practicing them. So it is known truth in intellectually. It is not known truth in action. And therefore, we continue in bondage in particular areas because we're not acting upon the truth. We know the truth as Christians, as a person, the person and work of Jesus Christ, not the published work of a recent Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. How many times have we uh, heard something well-founded and, and faxed in it and, and been convinced because of the sayer and then to find out months later, years later, that what they actually wrote was not the truth. They didn't have all the facts. They didn't have all of the information or they were looking at it from a particular skewed perspective. And as a result, they were not telling the whole truth. But we know as Christians, the truth is not a set of facts. The truth is Jesus Christ. We are totally dependent upon God. I said that a moment ago. The Bible spends considerable time reminding us of that fact. And aren't you thankful for that? That we are so dependent upon God. And the reason that we are so often reminded of this truth is that we have adopted the Home Depot uh, theory of life, right? The Home Depot model for our life. What is that? Do it yourself, right? <laughs> There's... You know, and this is why the Bible is constantly reminding us, you, you can't do it yourself. There's, there's not a YouTube video, there's not a self-help book, there's not a, a class, a learning where you're going to get this down, right? It is not by your might, it is not by your power, but it is by my spirit that you're going to be transformed and changed. Listen, you, you, you know, we all need to be thankful in one respect for our problems. Have you ever thanked God for your problems? We need to be thankful for our problems because our problems are reminders that we are not God. <laughs> and they remind us that we need God, right? When we get to a place where we go through a season of being problem-free, the big challenge is to continue to, to look to God as the author and the finisher of our faith. We start thinking we're, we've arrived. I've been to some of these, these, these great places, uh, empires of, of Christianity, where people have, have gotten to that place, uh, spiritual leaders or pastors, where you can tell by the way things are going around there that they believe that, that the world would not be saved if they were not on TV, or the world would not be saved if they were not in the pulpit, right? And, and God gives us problems to remind us that we're not God and that we need God. Amen? Now, our attitude towards truth determines the outcome uh, of our lives. I want you to write that down. Our attitude towards truth is going to determine our outcomes in lives, in our lives. In other words, if, if we don't love truth, if we resist it, we're resisting salvation. Because truth, again, is not a set of facts. Truth is embodied in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We are dependent upon God for truth. There is no such thing as your truth and my truth and situational truth. There is only the truth. And I, I'm so grateful to God that, that, 
Uh, I don't have to rely on another person, another individual, a group of people, a, a, some kind of a kingdom or, or you know, an empire of some kind to, to constantly help me understand truth. That I can have an encounter with truth and I can know the truth and I can begin to act in it and be liberated and set free. I want to look at a passage of scripture with you out of John chapter 1 and verse 14. I've circled a couple of words here that are important. Again, uh, that word, you know, talking about the word of scripture, the logos, the written word, and, and the rhema, the, the living word of God. In John chapter 1 verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Circle those words because we could say, and the truth became flesh and dwelt among us. The rhema word of God uh, clothed himself in flesh and came and dwelt among us. The one that takes action upon the word and makes it, uh, makes it effective, right? And, and, and it was full of grace and truth, it says. Our first encounter with truth is the encounter of truth when Jesus shines light on the darkness in our own life. It is the very first encounter that anyone ever has with real truth. With, with not a set of facts that someone has, has gathered you know, to, to look at, but with the truth, with Jesus Christ. And that first encounter is his light shining the darkness of our own life. It is the recognition immediately. How many of you had this and you can identify with it when, it when it happened, when the light of Christ shone on you and you saw yourself as a sinner? You saw yourself as a sinner. You saw yourself in need of forgiveness. You saw yourself in, in need of atonement. Uh, liberation from a sinful nature. You saw pride in your life that you had, had uh, hitherto not been willing to acknowledge. I'm a pretty humble person, you know, and I, I might be the humblest person ever, you know, I don't know, but <laughs> that pride thing is, is difficult, it's a challenge, it's a lifelong thing, because it, it all started, there was the nature of us in sin, it all started uh, in, in the heavenlies when, when Satan rose up, and uh, he was Lucifer at this time, one of the angels in heaven, and, and uh, he rose up and said, I will ascend uh, to the Mount of the Most High. I will receive the praise. All of a sudden, the pride uh, was, was the, the, the very definition of sin. Pride. And this causes us, when we see that, when truth reveals that, when, when the light of Christ comes on, it causes us to repent. And if you have not had this, this kind of encounter, you, you haven't met truth yet. I mean, if you haven't really seen your own moral depravity in the light of the holiness of God, then God invites you to that encounter. Truth reveals our moral depravity. It, 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 it's our self-righteousness, our prideful attitude, our bondage uh, to sinful nature. Our grand social media image is, is destroyed in the light of truth in just a matter of fractions of a second. All that we thought we were, the person that, that we think we are, the person that we, that, you know, that we uh, are and the person that we hope to see all come into congruity in the light of the gospel and in the light of the truth of Jesus Christ. We suddenly and profoundly see it as it really is. There's no more denying it. 
Any aspiration that we had leading to that point of, of earning our way into God's presence, earning our way into God's good favor is destroyed instantly when we come to understand how Jesus finished that opening text. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when we have that encounter with truth, we really understand that. Suddenly, everything that we were carrying around as, as, as religious baggage to give to God and to say, you know, I am a good person, suddenly we start realizing there is none good but God. And religion at its best, in its best clothes, is, is ragged and tattered garments in the presence of a holy God, Right? Isaiah said that all your righteousness piled up is like filthy rags in the presence of a holy God. We could not go to God, and so Easter is a reminder that God came to us. We couldn't get into the room because of the filthiness and, and the sin, and there was no place that we could stand in the presence of God, so God came to us. And the Apostle John wrote, and we know the Son of God, has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Another incredible thing about reality, the first, the first thing is it, it, it reveals the darkness in our own lives. And, and shows and constantly does as we allow God's light to shine down on us. Let's work on this, this issue now in your life as God is gracefully moving us along and advancing us in sanctification on a day-by-day basis, making us more like Him, right? As John's saying, I have to decrease. He has to increase. When you look at me, eventually I hope you're only seeing Jesus. You're not seeing all the flaws and the mistakes of me all the, the addictions and the hardships of my life that I've held on to, the unforgiveness and those kinds of things. I hope that as I decrease and Jesus increases, you only see Jesus. But truth is, it also reveals reality. Over half of the New Testament uses the truth uh, aletheia out of the Greek and, and uh, it, over half of that is recorded in, in, in the Gospel of John. Truth is reality. It is the way that things really are. Now, what seems to be and what really is are often not the same. And we have those encounters throughout our life. You know, uh, the, the flat world theory. Those who, who thought the, the world is flat and saw the horizon where the boat's you know, go over the horizon, you can't see it anymore when it sells off to a certain distance. They have fallen off into dragons. <laughs> That's the end of them. Oh, we'll never see them again, you know. <laughs> and, and, and so what we perceive or what we see is, is not always telling us the truth, right? Sometimes things are not as they appear. But when we see, when we know truth, we see uh, accurately. We're able to accurately see what's going on. Uh, Paul was talking about this to, to the Corinthians. I think it's in chapter 4 where he, he tells them that they, 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 uh, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. That they might not see. But truth opens our eyes. 
and, and, and removes the blindness. So to believe what isn't true is to be blind. To look at the truth and believe the truth and know the truth is to see accurately. So truth is far more than just a moral guide. Jesus uh, declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He did not say he would show the truth or teach the truth or model the truth. He said he is the truth. Truth personified. He is the source of all truth, the embodiment of truth, and therefore the reference point for evaluating all truth claims. Here it is. Ultimately, the ultimate fact checker is Jesus Christ. <laughs> you want to know if something is true? Uh, Snopes is not going to help you, right? Um, all the others that I can't even name, I don't, uh, you know, they're not going to help you. You want to know what the truth is. The ultimate fact checker is Jesus Christ. And what we celebrate in Easter, in large part, is truth. Almost 2,000 years ago, truth was put on trial and judged by people who were devoted to lies. In fact, truth faced six trials in less than one full day. Three of which were religious, three that were legal trials. And in the end, few people involved in those events uh, had answered the question about truth. What is truth? After being arrested, uh, the truth was led to a man named Annas, a corrupt former high priest of the Jews. And Annas broke numerous Jewish laws during the trial, including holding the trial in his own house, which was illegal, trying to induce uh, self-accusations against the defendant was illegal, and striking the defendant uh, because the defendant hadn't been convicted of anything. It's just like going out and slapping a citizen. That hasn't happened lately, has it? Uh... <laughs> and after Annas, the, the truth was led uh, to the reigning high priest, Caiaphas, who happened to be Annas' son-in-law. Before Caiaphas and the Jewish Sanhedrin, many false witnesses came forward to speak against the truth. And yet nothing could be proved and no evidence of wrongdoing could be found. Caiaphas broke no fewer than seven laws trying to convict truth. The trial was held in secret. It was carried out at night. It involved bribery. The defendant had no one present to make a defense for him. Requirements of two or three witnesses could not be met. They used self-incriminating testimony against the defendant. They carried out the death penalty against the defendant the same day. All of this was illegal. All of these actions were prohibited by, by Jewish law. Regardless, Caiaphas declared the truth guilty because the truth claimed to be God in the flesh, something Caiaphas called blasphemy. And when morning came, the third trial of the truth took place with the result of the Jewish Sanhedrin that pronounced the truth should die. However, the Jewish council had no legal authority to carry out such a death penalty. They were under Roman rule at this point. 
And so they were forced to bring the truth to the Roman governor at the time, a man named Pontius Pilate. Pilate was appointed by Tiberius as the fifth prefect of Judea, and he served in the capacity from A.D. 26 to 36. The procurator had power of life and death and could reverse capital sentences uh, passed by the Sanhedrin. As the truth stood before Pilate, more lies were brought against him. His enemies said, we found the truth to be misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. But they lied because the truth had told everyone to pay the taxes and helped the disciples on one occasion to find the money in the mouth of a fish to go pay taxes. But he said, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and unto God what belongs to God. After this, a very interesting kind of encounter took place between the truth and Pontius Pilate. It's recorded in John chapter 18, 33 through 38, but I'll walk you through it. Therefore, Pilate entered again uh, into the Praetorium, and he summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did, you tell, uh, did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. And therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? What is truth? Pilate's question, what is truth, continues to reverberate through history. We've examined the truth in Scripture this morning. We've determined that the truth is embodied in Jesus. But what we need to understand at this point is our personal responsibility to respond to truth. <coughs> I want to invite our worship team to come back. As citizens and members of this country, the United States, uh, we're familiar and we understand this statement. You've heard it a lot in your lifetime. You can finish it with me if you like. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Let's say it together again. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. In other words, what that means to us and what we understand it to mean as citizens of uh, the United States is that just because you know we didn't know that you couldn't go above the speed limit 
And we, we would tell the judge that. Nobody told us that that was breaking the law. You know? Nobody personally came into my house and said, you know, if you go 10 miles above the speed limit, you're breaking the law. Then we understand that we are responsible whether we knew it or not. That's what, that's what it means, that the ignorance of the law is no excuse. You and I have come face to face with truth, for those of you online as well. We've come face to face with truth this morning, today, and as we have journeyed in our walk with Christ Jesus. We've come face to face with the truth of the Word of God. We are fully responsible for our response. Ignorance has been educated through God's Word. Willful ignorance will be judged. Truth has been revealed the condition of every heart in this room and those of you listening online. God is shining his light right now on each one of us. This is our opportunity to surrender control of our lives and to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to embrace truth. And I want to invite you to stand with me. That we would make this place today and where you're standing an altar before God and we would say, God, wherever I have drifted in my walk and I have said that it's okay to live outside of the bounds of, of truth, it is all right if I don't practice certain things that I know to be the truth, that you would deal with our hearts and reveal those things right now. And in this moment, Lord, we want to surrender to your complete lordship over our lives. We want the empowered rhema word of God. We're not going to do it by our might. We're not going to do it by our power, but by your spirit. Lord, we want that right now to happen in us. A place of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, where we lay down things that we've held on to that you've been asking us to do. Where we say there's nothing better than you. There's nothing I want in this world more than you. All the wonderful things that I enjoy and celebrate, there's nothing I want more than you. I love my wife so much. I appreciate her. I love her heart for God. But I can honestly say that I, I want God more in my life than I want my wife. I want God more in my life than I want my children or my grandchildren. I want him to take priority in first place. I know that if he does, that all these other things will be around and be a tremendous blessing. And we will all live for his glory in a way that we can't by trying to do it in our own might and our own power. This is our place of surrender today. Those of you who are online and those who are on campus, let's take a moment to do that. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we come. As we are, you see us. There's nothing hiding. All is exposed to you. The light of truth shining in on us. There is no way to the Heavenly Father except through you. We want to surrender the Lordship of Jesus Christ today and lay down everything. If we have moved a degree to the right or left and we are ignoring things in our life that need to be dealt with, we want to surrender them today. What you have shown us in these moments that we've come together to pray, we lay it on the altar. 
God, we surrender ourselves completely and wholly to you. We love you, Jesus. And we want you more than anything. We want you more than wealth and riches. We want you more than any other kingdom that we might try to attain in this life. In terms of our march to career success or our accolades from mankind, we seek to glorify you and to love you with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Let's worship him in song.